we pray as we just look at uh, God's word together. Father, we pray that as we look at Jonah chapter 2, that Lord, you just give us open hearts. Um, Lord, we believe your word speaks. We believe that it's living. We believe that, Lord, there's something to say in every single passage. Lord, even parts of the Bible that we don't understand, like the genealogies and the lists and the numbers. Lord, there's a message even there. So we pray this morning that you give us inquisitive hearts. Hearts, Lord, that aren't just listening passively, but are searching your word. Searching, Lord, what it says about you and in this amazing story. So be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, last week I told you of my enjoyment of football. I'm not doing that again this week, although I really wish I could because there was something that happened yesterday, but I won't. Um, I'm not so fussed about things like poetry. I don't mind things like poetry. I'm no great um, sort of poet fan, poetry fan. Um, But even I, uh, someone who's not overly bothered, can spot a good piece of poetry uh, when I come across one. And one of the uh, poems that I think I probably like more than any other, and I don't know if it's just because we're celebrating the centenary of, well, remembering the centenary of World War I, should I say, but In Flanders Fields, written by Lieutenant Colin John McRae, and uh, you, you'll probably know the, uh, the poem well. You'd have heard it many times. But I'd like to read it to you. It says, In Flanders fields the poppies blow Between the crosses row on row That mark our place and in the sky The larks still bravely singing fly Scarce heard amid the guns below We are the dead short days ago We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow Loved and were loved and now we lie In Flanders field." Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. This is a, a beautiful piece of poetry, isn't it? It's powerful, it's emotive, it's wonderful. And what's more amazing about this piece of poetry is that it was written not from a place of security and peace, but it was written on the 3rd of May, 1915, at the battlefront of the Second Battle of Ypres. And this, this wonderful, beautiful, powerful piece was composed in a place of ugly darkness and death. And I find that to be absolutely amazing. We assume, don't we, that good can only come from good. But such is the grace of our Lord that beauty can come from utter darkness and despair at times. And we're looking at Jonah chapter 2, and particularly Jonah's prayer And this prayer is beautiful. This is the most beautiful part of the book of Jonah. If you've never read this prayer before, I advise you to go home. Not now, wait till at least 12. Um, But go home and read it again and say it out loud because it's beautiful. He expresses his situation, his feelings, his life in the most wonderful language. And just like in Flanders Fields, this prayer wasn't composed in a place of security and peace It was composed in the face of death. And as we go through it, the message, I believe, is going to be for us, both clear and wonderful, that when we find ourselves in places of pain and darkness and loneliness, I believe God's beautiful, illuminating grace and presence will be there and are there for you to rest on in those difficult moments. One of the privileges of my role is I get to speak with people who go through tough times and I get to hear how they cope uh, with difficult moments. And so often people will say to me, it's been awful, but I've really felt God close. And you hear that more often than you might expect. And today, let me say, no matter what you're going through, 
Whatever's going on in your life, God is there. And that same God wants you to know his powerful presence in the midst of your difficult circumstances. In case you missed last week, let me recap. Uh, Jonah is a prophet in the Old Testament. He's someone called a minor prophet, uh, which is a, a group of 12 short books, short prophet, prophetic works towards the end of the Old Testament. And uh, he was a prophet of God, and God asked him at the beginning of the book, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, that's where they all start. And uh, God asked Jonah to leave and go to a place called Nineveh, 500 miles to the hey, I did this last week, never, uh, east, east of where he was, to go there and to tell the Ninevites you've been wicked and to preach against their wickedness is how God puts it, because their wickedness had come up to God's throne and he was called to go and preach against them. God's going to destroy your city unless you change. Jonah, however, does the complete opposite. Um, He goes that way, two and a half thousand miles, jumps on a boat at Joppa, heading to a place called Tarshish, uh, which would be 3,000 miles from Nineveh. He goes as far as he possibly can from God. Sometimes when we turn from God, we go a long way, don't we? Um, And that's what he does. Whilst on that boat, God sends a storm. Everybody panics. Jonah's asleep. Uh, Once he wakes up, he admits to the sailors, it's me. I've offended the living God. Throw me overboard and the storm will go away. And so that's what happens. They throw him overboard and he sinks into the water. And chapter 1 ends with this horrible picture of this man, Jonah, having done bad things, having rebelled against God, being chucked over the side of a boat and falling and plunging into the murky waters below. But it doesn't quite end there because in verse 17 of chapter 1, we read this verse. But the Lord provided a great fish and it swallowed, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And what we have in chapter 2 is the darkest moment of Jonah's life. This is the worst moment of his entire life. And so what verse 17 says in one verse, all of chapter 2 expands and tells us how he's really, really feeling. This is a significant moment for Jonah. It's a significant moment for Nineveh and it's also a significant moment for us because it tells us and shows us the kind of God we worship and just how powerful it is to hope in that God even when life says it's ridiculous to do it. And it's important as well this chapter because Jesus Christ himself uh, likens his death on the cross and his time in the grave to Jonah's time in the fish. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 40 Jesus said, uh, he said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus knows this story, knew this story, and said in the same way the Ninevites repented of their sin, you lot aren't, and it's going to be, they're going to, they're going to condemn you because they did turn from their sin, and I'm greater than Jonah. But he likens his time in the fish to his own time in the grave. And so it's important for that, because it's good enough for Jesus to mention, it's good enough for us to think about as well. And so what seems to have happened, following on the story chronologically, they wake him up, he admits to offending God, and he says, throw me overboard and the storm will go. So they throw him over the side of the boat and piecing it together from chapter 2, 
he hits the water and he sinks, seems to sink like a stone. And he's, as he's kind of floating down to the bottom, he becomes entangled with seaweed and muck and all sorts of horrible things. And as he floats down to the bottom of the seabed, right at the very bottom, he knows these are his final moments. Jonah knows, this is it, I'm dead. The next thing I'm going to experience is death. He knows full well this is the last moment of his life. And in that last moment of his life, Jonah did the very only last thing that he could do, which was pray to the living God and ask for help. That's the only thing he could do before he died. And just as he prays and asks God for help, a giant fish swallows him whole for three days and three nights. We talked about the fish last week. Um, And we said if you've got a small view of God and you don't really believe the miraculous, then you probably think the fish is an analogy. But if you believe, like I do, that God made the world from nothing, caused the virgin birth and the resurrection and raised the dead, then a giant fish is quite straightforward. But we won't go over that again. So you've heard the phrase, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Well, this is Jonah being snatched to life from the jaws of death. No no pun intended, but the word jaws uh, used too often there. It wasn't a shark. It doesn't actually say it was a whale. Um, It just says a giant fish. But like we said last week, this is unique. What you have in this experience of Jonah is unique to Christianity. All other faiths describe a God that you have to appease A God that you have to make happy by being perfect. Christianity preaches you can never be perfect. Don't even bother trying to make yourself right. You will never be good enough for God. God is perfect. You will never be perfect. But the God of the real God, the only true God, revealed uniquely through Jesus Christ, is a God who rescues us, a God who comes down to where we are and scoops us up. The whole gospel message isn't that we, just, we found a philosophy to make ourselves good enough for God, is that we recognize our inability to make ourselves good enough for God and that he's, he's right to punish us, but that he sent his son to rescue us from the clutches of the grave. And so Jonah's in this fish for three days and in that fish he repents, which leads to my favorite verse in the whole book, which is the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I think it's beautiful, isn't it? And that's very poetic. It's the sort of poetry I could come up with. You know, vomiting, you know, that'll do. Um, But it vomits him. It's that sort of violent, pushing him back in. That's it, get on back, get back on with a job I called you to do. Um, But he repents in that fish. And that is the turning point. Um, And actually, it's worth saying, isn't it, that we really have to, as Christians, say sorry to God every day. You're never, un, you're never out of God's love. You're never unsaved because you sin. If you're a Christian, you're always saved. But when we offend God and break his law, we must always repent of our sin. We must start and just say, sorry, God, I'm sorry for what I did. I always do that before I take communion. I always just list the things I've done that I can remember that week. And I just say, so it's important that we apologize and we repent of our sin regularly. So what can we take away from this prayer of Jonah in this fish? Well, just a few things this morning. The first is that God answers our cries for help. Verses 1 and 2, I'll read them again. Jonah writes, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. You see, everything about Jonah is extreme. The distance he runs, the level of anger he gets at God, he's an all or nothing character. 
And as he sinks in this ocean, to the ocean floor, he has absolutely nothing. The next stop on his life's journey is death. He even describes the water as a grave. It's a, this is my grave. And there's nothing left to do but cry to God for help, to the only one able to save. And this is the key point, that despite his sin, despite his grumpiness, despite his rebellion, I don't like Jonah. If you read Jonah, he's horrible. Why would you like him? But despite all of that, when he cried to God for help with a genuine heart, God responded and God answered Verse 7 puts it beautifully. It says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. What a fantastic way of describing a cry for help. When my life was done, I prayed and it just went to where you are. But that's what happens when we pray. Maybe this morning you feel like Jonah. Maybe you feel this morning that you are over the edge, that you've been pushed over the edge or thrown over the edge. Life's chucked you off. Maybe all you can see in front of you in your situation is bleakness. Maybe you think, this is not going to get any better. The next stop is death, figuratively speaking, perhaps. It might be a physical situation you're going through. Or maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe this morning some of you are addicted to alcohol. Maybe you're addicted um, to pornography or something like that. And maybe that addiction clouds your judgment to such extent you feel so dirty, so wretched, that all you can see in front of you is darkness. Someone's going to find out. My reputation's going to unravel. My job's going to be taken away. People at church will find out. And you feel shamed. And you feel, you feel dirty in darkness. And you just think the next stop is bad. It's going to get worse and I can't do anything about it. Or maybe your marriage is on the rocks this morning. Maybe your husband and wife haven't spoken in months, haven't been intimate with each other, haven't shared proper love with each other. And maybe you're contemplating doing something extreme to make yourself happy. Or maybe it's something else. Perhaps someone's hurt you in the past and it's destroyed your self-esteem. But on the outside, you're like this. Yeah, fine. We're always fine as British people, aren't we? And it's not British, in fact, we represent quite a cross-section of the globe. It's human beings never tell the truth, least of all to their friends. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, great, brilliant, awesome. Yeah, life's brilliant at home, works great, I'm happy, healthy, feeling really great. But maybe you've been hurt and you're just broken. And all you can't see your way back to health and being restored. Pray. Pray to God when it looks bleak. He's the only one qualified to help. He's the only one that can make any difference in your bleak situation. He's the only one. It might take years for that situation to go back to where it was. It may never go back to the way it was. But you won't be destroyed in it. The liberating truth here is that when we call on God, God answers. When we seek God with all of our heart, We always find him. Always. Not sometimes, not occasionally. Always. When we seek him with a genuine heart. Second thing to take away from this um, is that God's ways are not our ways. Um, You probably know what I'm about to say. Um, So Jonah prays, and the solution to his problem is that God sends a big fish. 
No one saw that coming. If you didn't know the story of Jonah and you heard him, you know, I prayed to God for help, you think, oh, okay, there's going to be like a, he's going to just sort of float up magically or something or, or he's going to kind of drift off to the seashore. But no, a giant fish rescues Jonah. I mean, it's almost funny, isn't it, on one level. You think that's so unusual. I was expecting God to do that. And it reminds me of Isaiah um, chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. We read these verses. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And for me, this is a really, really important point, because my experience of God has often been that I'm in a situation, if I'm in a particular thing, that's, and I think, okay, well, there's only two options here, A or B. As a human being, I'm quite logical. If I'm in a position, I think, right, well, that can, that's the only thing that can happen, or that. That's it. There is no C or D or E or F. It's just A and B. And I pray and I pray and I think, well, which one do I want? Lord, please let A happen, please. And then I go a bit further in the journey and I think, A is not going to happen, is it? And I think, that would be, please don't let B happen. And I think, oh, what's going to happen? And just when I begin to give up, God does C. I've been a Christian for 25 years and I can't tell you the amount of times God has done C or a D and an E and an F. Because sometimes I, what I've started doing now is when I'm at an A and B situation with only two options, I begin to imagine what C might be. So I'm not caught off guard. So God does D. And God surprises me every single time. God never does what I think he's going to do. Sometimes he's never out of his character, of course. 25 years, a quarter of a century, plus one or two on top of that. And I'm still surprised when God... This does something completely different. Who thought a fish was going to come? Think of the way he saved our soul um, from hell to heaven and saved us from our sin. How did God do that? Was it what you expected? People expected someone to kind of float down majestically and tell them what to do to be good enough for God. But no, he sent a child, a baby. Oh, there we are, right on cue. Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I should have said 500 pounds, shouldn't I? <laughs> That's a, good on you, Chloe. Fantastic. But who'd have thought that the Saviour would be a baby? That's unusual. Who'd have expected that? I would have expected that. Not just a baby who worked out he was the Messiah, but a baby who was fully God in the womb, one day old, one week old, fully God when he was that big. How amazing is that? Who'd have expected that? Who'd have expected that that same baby would grow up to be perfect and then do miracles and raise the dead? Who'd have expected that same baby to be nailed to a cross and put in a grave and rise again. Who expected the virgin birth? No one. Because God does what we don't expect. And so the message is clear. Don't limit how God might save you. Don't limit how God might answer your prayer. Even if you're thinking he's running out of options really quickly. He's got all the options <laughs> in the world. There's a whole alphabet of letters to get through. I heard a story once. of a, There's a book called The Heavenly Man. Which I must read. I've only read half of it. And... The heavenly man tells a story of a Christian who was put under house arrest in a particular part of China. And, and this guy was there, and he was starving to death. They didn't feed him or anything. He sat there uh, without any food. And, uh, and he began to pray to God and say, Lord, help. And of course, he had like an A and a B option worked out. And then suddenly a hole appeared in the side of his house. And he thought, so he put the bits of brick back in. And then the hole, the brick fell out again, the hole got a bit bigger. So he sort of blocked it up. And then he thought the third time, 
this, these few bricks fell out and this hole appeared again. And he thought, well, maybe this is God. Who knows? He does unusual things. So he left it. And a rat came in. Don't be immediately grossed out. But a rat came in carrying a potato. And it left it on the floor. And no lie, I think for weeks and weeks, this guy was fed by a rat in his house. A bit like ravens and Elijah. But who would have thought God would do a thing like that? But God always does what we don't expect. Don't limit. Don't give up when God isn't doing what you think he should do. Third thing we take away from this prayer is that honest prayers lead to greater intimacy. In fact, that's not the right thing for point three. Sometimes trouble can lead to greater intimacy. It's not just that God answers his prayer. Something happens to Jonah in this fish. He repents of his sin. He takes responsibility. He stops making excuses. Well, God, if you were going to forgive them, that's why I ran away. He stops all that. And he says, yes, me. I was wrong. You're right to punish me, he says. And whilst in that fish at the bottom of the ocean, he takes responsibility. And as weird as it might sound, he goes on to experience God in a way that perhaps even his best days as a prophet hadn't even come close. How ridiculous it is that in a fish at the bottom of the ocean, he has the best experience of God. Maybe what you're going through will lead to your greatest intimacy with God than ever before. Jonah is at death's door. He's got zero prospects, zero future, zero strength, zero options. He is out of everything. Yet when he calls out to God, three amazing things happen. Three amazing things. The first thing is he feels hopeful. And it's silly. How can you feel hopeful in a fish in the ocean? But verse 4 says this. I said I've been banished from your sight, yet... I will look again toward your holy temple. That verse is full of hope. Yet again, I'm going to look toward your holy temple. This is incredible. It's ridiculous. How can a man in an ocean and a fish feel full of hope? How can you feel hopeful as a Christian if you've got a terminal illness or you've got a a physical problem that's going to leave you in all sorts of trouble? How can you have hope? You can have hope because the God you worship is eternal. And the promises he makes you are everlasting. And as a Christian, if you are one of God's followers through following Jesus Christ, the promises he made you don't stop at the grave. They go past them and they never, ever end. So that means that even in the face of death, the Christian can have hope. Dave Tucker told us a story. He's not here. I was going to ask him to retell it. But Andrew Chan, part of the Barley Nine, I think they were called, um, a man who was convicted of a crime, stuck on death row for 10 years, I think, um, became a Christian, served God. Many people became Christians because of him. When they lined up for the firing squad, they all burst into song. It was either, I think it was 10,000 reasons. Um, how wonderful, what a ridiculous, how can that happen? How can you be staring your death in the face, a bullet, but yet as those bullets hit your chest, there's a smile on your face and you're praising God. But that's how amazing God is. He's not limited to our limitations. He is eternal. For the Christian, the darkness is never our final word. It is always light. Because after the darkness, even that of death, comes everlasting light. Jesus says in John chapter 14, uh, one you know very well. Sadly, we often leave this for funerals. But this is an amazing few verses. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And in fact, that could be re-said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. 
and you trust in me. Jesus is saying you've got nothing to be fearful of because you're in my corner. You love me and I'm with you. I'm for you. See, I'm going to see God face to face one day. So there's nothing this world can throw at us that can take that hope away. Paul, uh, the apostle, says in Philippians to live is Christ. And for a man who says elsewhere that he faces death all day long, who goes on to say to die is gain. We're liberated even if our final day is a day of tragedy because the life after is an eternity of light, love and life. And Jonah understands that in that fish. He understands that. He surrenders his life to God and hope flows. But there's more. Verse 7, he feels assurance. Verse 7 says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He knows that God has heard him. He knows that God has listened to what he's had to say. And let me tell you this morning that God has heard you. He's heard your cry for help. It's already reached his temple. I don't know what happens next, but he does. He's already heard your cry for help. And take comfort in that, that he's not forgotten you. He would never forget you. And then verse 8, he gains an understanding of God's grace. He says this, this is probably the most amazing verse in his prayer. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He's so close to God in that fish that he's trusting in God, even in the brink of death. He understands it to be better than to be alive somewhere and worship a false god. You think the only false gods mentioned are in chapter 1 with the sailors. The sailors pray to their false gods, help, help, help. Jonah prays to the only true and living God. And he says it's better to be in a place of death trusting God than a place of life trusting a false God. Wow. It's better to have three minutes of your life in the presence of the real God than 30 years in the presence of no God. And he gets that, an assurance of the grace of God. I'm better off here because I'm experiencing God in a way I never could before than to be on that ship with no God in my corner. Sometimes our faith only truly comes alive when things go wrong. And it's worth pondering that this beautiful prayer is written in the belly of a fish. If you're going through a hard time, here's a suggestion. Why not write a prayer yourself? Why not write down how you feel and write down what you trust about God and make that your prayer in your dark place? So what I think the message today is this, that if you're in a dark place, you are not alone. The living God is a prayer away. The devil will whisper to you, how can he be here? It's so dark. But God desires in that dark place to plant seeds of hope and assurance and grace that will blossom into mighty oaks in your life. Don't forget he went on to preach a message that saved a whole city. Only God knows what will come next for you and the good you will do with those seeds of hope, assurance and grace. And let me just end with one final comment. Hang on. Hang on. The fish is coming. The fish is coming. The tough moments are there. Cling to God. Shout for help. You don't have to be um, Victorian about it. Shout for help. In this dark moment, commune with God. Worship him like you've never done before. Let your heart cry out. Get on your knees. Know the presence of God. 
because of all the things that are true of your situation, this is the most important. That God is with you. Let's pray. In fact, just before I pray, if you're going through a difficult moment, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that, but just if you're going through a hard time, maybe you've come to church this morning and you've thought, I'm going to not think about it. I'm going to encourage you to think about it. Just to see it for what it is. And just in your mind, just consciously remind yourself that God is bigger. Just visualize your prayer floating up to God's holy throne. And just before I pray, I want to give you some time just to cry out to God. You can do it out loud if you want, but if you're more comfortable, just in your heart, just say, God, help me. Lord, help me. And just make it as honest and open as you can. Just you and God, just for a few minutes. just pray before we sing Lord God I just ask you Lord to bless whatever's going on in this room this morning I mentioned a few things Lord some very personal um, Lord just some from a general perspective but Lord you know um, who here Lord is feeling like they're sinking you know Lord who here feels like they're at the bottom of a mighty ocean Lord unable to swim to the top you know who here Lord lives with shame Lord, you know who here lives with the fear of others finding out and the absolute um, fear of not being able to save ourselves. But Lord, it's in those moments that I believe we can know you properly. Father God, I pray that our hearts would cry out to you. I pray for those people this morning, Lord, that you would send the fish. Lord, that you would move in their situations, Lord, in the way they're not expecting. That Lord, there would be some good news in that place of darkness and pain. There'll be no this life is full of bad times. But we're not saying that um, one prayer, everything vanishes, but we're saying, Lord, that in our darkest moments, we call to our God and he answers and he moves and you move your way. Father God, we trust in your will. We trust in your power. We trust in your grace. And Lord, I pray that those people going through difficult moments, however long it's going to go on for, that they might be able to say like Jonah, knowing God now, He's better than I've ever known him before. In Jesus' name, amen.